everyone, and welcome back to the 4D Days and Nights podcast. Hello. We are at episode four. Woohoo. I totally forgot that we were recording already and was just going to, like, take a drink. It's fine. Gotta hydrate. <laughs> it's fine. But, yes, All right. welcome to the fourth episode. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this for a month now. It's wild. wild. Super crazy, but really awesome. Yeah, we've shared a lot so far, and um, we have a lot more to share. We have, I think in our notes, we have at least five more weeks of stuff already kind of planned out. There's like different topics that we wanted to touch on, um, and today we are going to be looking at deconstruction a little more in depth. Um we talked a little bit about it in both of our um, our story podcasts, but um, just being a little more specific. So, yeah. Yeah. Is there anywhere in particular that you want to start, Sarah? There's like, this, I know. deconstruction is like such a broad thing. Yeah. yeah I think if we kind of explain like how we interpret it, um, more generally, you know, starting general and then maybe getting more specific. Um, so at least for me, like when I think of deconstruction, I immediately think of Jen Hatmaker. She's written a bunch of books. Um, she was kind of like the poster child for progressive evangelical Christianity. And I would say is not an evangelical anymore. Um, her um, her podcast and her Instagram account has been very, you know, um, just transparent about, like, her journey and, like, the things that she's changed her mind on. And, you know, she talks a lot about how much research and stuff that she did to get where she is today. Like, I think she said it took her nine years to work through, like, um, you know, the inclusion of queer folks in uh, Christianity, which is a long time. So, um, you know, we're talking about our deconstruction and we're only a couple years into it. So it's just interesting to look at, you know, someone who's been doing it for (laughs) at least nine years on that specific topic. Is there anyone that you can think, like, who kind of defines deconstruction for you, if there's anybody? Um, I think, so I, like, hadn't even heard of like, or didn't know what deconstruction was until, like, the summer after kind of, like, having a fallout with evangelicalism and was talking to um, my pastor or the pastor of the ministry that I'd kind of, like, transitioned into. Um, And he pointed me to some resources, and one of them was the liturgists. Um, So Mm. I started listening to their podcasts like, specifically looking for the ones that talked about, like, stepping away from evangelicalism, and I just was, like, blown away. I didn't realize that there was this whole community of people that had experienced walking away from the community that they'd been raised in, the community that had loved them for so many years, the community that they had known, Um, and, yeah, it was just... I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard of the, like, deconstruction or, like, ex-evangelical 
community like until then Mm. um but it was like a major lifeline to be able to like listen to other people talk about their experiences and see that like I wasn't alone in that and the like the feeling like the rug gets pulled out from under you and you're just kind of like I (laughs) anytime I've experienced a crisis up until now I've had my faith to, to go to but mm-hmm. what do you go to when you don't even know if you can go to your faith? <laughs> um, so hearing other people kind of talk about their wrestling through that um, was huge. There's also a podcast called The Deconstructionists, <laughs> which was super helpful as well. Um, that's kind of how I got introduced to more and more um, like authors and people who are kind of in that community of previously fundamentalist or evangelical um from them being on those like different podcasts and talking about their books and I was like there's so many like progressive Christians how did I not know that there were so many um so it just kind of like continued from there of like learning more getting more involved in the Twitter community of um previously like very evangelical so it's kind of like continued to grow from there but that was like the introduction to it for me definitely social media I think has kind of helped all of this happen because I feel like before if someone was going through a deconstruction or you know just change in their theology you read about it like in a book um so to have like this instantaneous access to people who are questioning or figuring out like what they believe and um you know determining what they don't believe I think there's just so much more availability and access to that so yeah Um, my Instagram and Twitter feeds are very different um than they were a couple years ago oh absolutely Um, yeah (laughs) I follow a lot of like Instagram accounts that have the word heretic in them so that's just kind of like my uh my aesthetic right now is that. <laughs> yeah, living into that, like, like claiming it, I guess, um, or like talking about like exposing the ELCA and stuff. Like oh, that. that's a whole even. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Um, there were some people, like some um, seminary folks, talking about like ending up on there and how it's kind of like like not even a bad thing <laughs> if you end up on there um so interesting stuff i wouldn't be surprised if we end up on there at some point oh <laughs> that's kind of like definitely almost a badge of honor for some people <laughs> just kind of like um you know if you make it there you can make it anywhere sort of thing yeah no, I was just going to ask, like, when, like, how long would you say that it, that you were kind of in this, like, pulling apart period of your life? Um, and when do you think you kind of got to the point where you started piecing things back together mm. and, like, reconstructing, if you want to use, like, that term? Um, or do you feel like you're even at that point yet? Yeah, those are good questions. Um, I think going in to 
the evangelical ministry in college. So that was the second semester of my sophomore year. I would consider that honestly the beginning of the deconstruction. Because I was kind of deconstructing the before stuff too. Because I was trying to figure out like, this is what I grew up with. This is what like I was taught and believed or whatever. Um, but that was, I think, this like square one was getting involved there. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think it was tan- like in tandem with a reconstruction. So I was like deconstructing previous stuff, moving into a reconstructing in the evangelical space. Um, but I would say I started deconstructing from that towards the end of the summer of my, like before my senior year. So that was like um, early fall twenty. 20- how old am I? <laughs> 2017. Um, which was like halfway through the time that I had told this ministry that I was going to be on their servant team. And there's specific things that you have to do and believe and like requirements to do that. And I, you know, I feel kind of bad because I wasn't, you know, doing it in full faith to like what they wanted. Um, but that's where it kind of started. And there were some things that were being taught that I just, like, couldn't get behind. Um, there was a talk about evolution being wrong, and that um, that really made me mad. So um, that kind of, like, that's, like, the defining moment where I think something, like, actually shifted in how I was viewing my faith. Um, and I think the reconstruction process started pretty soon after that when I got involved um Ohio State's uh, Lutheran campus ministry um because I think they did a really good job of providing space for deconstruction and reconstruction happening Mm -hmm. in tandem um I definitely am still I think I'm still doing both right now um I don't know if like seminary is like the best place to do that sometimes um thinking of like the Lutheran confessions, the things that we are studying and supposed to believe. Um, I don't know if I believe them 100% yet. And so that's kind of hard. Um, yeah, but what about you? I mean, we talked a little bit about it in your story, but I'd like to hear more about when that when that all has kind of come to fruition for you. Yeah. Um, I... I appreciate the fact that you kind of, like, talked about them being in tandem because I definitely think that, like, D and Reconstruction are not mutually exclusive. Um, so I appreciated you, like, pointing that out. Um, mm-hmm. I think I spent probably, like, all of my senior year in a good chunk of my first year of seminary, like, really pulling apart a lot of things. Um, I feel like I haven't, like really started to piece together what I think and believe about different things um kind of until like this semester like I think that there were like bits and pieces like along the way um but now being like actually taking a systematic theology class and like having dedicated space to work through very critical like aspects of Christian faith has been really helpful for me 
and going through like what's considered like orthodox going through more evangelical beliefs and going through very liberal protestant beliefs and kind of like seeing all the viewpoints and kind of like seeing where i'm at and kind of recognizing that you can hold a lot of things in tension at the same time um mm-hmm. yeah if if i've learned anything in seminary it's that tension and both and are like the most used <laughs> words <laughs> yep life in general theology faith is all about tension and both and um which i think i don't know coming from a space where i think like evangelicalism or fundamentalism in general not even just like a specific subset but generally um and in other faith traditions to like denominations certainty is idolized um of the like having a really firm grip on everything having a complete total answer for everything um but i've I'm almost, like, kind of to a point where I feel like you can have a more robust faith when you can understand that you can hold faith and uncertainty at the same time and, like, understanding that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of feel like I'm on a tangent now. <laughs> but I think, like, taking a dedicated class to, like, actually, like, this week we're talking about creation. This week we're talking about sin. This week we're talking about Christ. It's very haha, systematic. Um, and it's, like, helping me, like, mentally, like, go through all of the things. And, like, having discussion groups where I can, like, think about and, like, reflect on what I previous previously believed and, like, also kind of talk through with people where, am I, where I'm at now um, has been really helpful. Um, and to also, like, be in a space where people aren't, like, would you shut up already about, like, your previous experience? Like, being in a community of people who are always willing to, like, create space for me to share that and process it, even, like, two years later, is just, I'm, like, so grateful for that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's special stuff to have people that, you know, they may not exactly be going through a deconstruction or reconstruction process as we are, but pretty much no one goes into seminary knowing systematic theology. So um, having that ability to navigate that with people is super important. Um, And I really appreciated what you talked about with with certainty. Um, That's something I think about, you know, the story of doubting Thomas, um, the word was actually more in line with unbelieving Thomas. So I talked about how he gave doubt a bad name um, in a sermon once because I think doubt is incredibly important. Like you talked about like a robust faith. Like if you are certain about everything, doesn't like to me that means that there is no room for faith. Because if you if you know everything, then you don't have to rely on faith to kind of put the pieces together. Like it's already whole. I don't know if that's a great metaphor. I'm thinking of like a mosaic. Like 
the things you're certain about are like the broken pieces and then the faith is the glue that kind of puts it together. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, and I feel like when you're like certain, whatever that looks like for you, um, like about something and then something happens, like shit happens, um, that like shakes your faith even more because you're put in a position where you have to call into question like everything that you've believed. When tragedy happens, when evil happens, and you've been so certain about what you believe about God and God's character, like, like you're put in a position where like that shatters all the certainty that you had. So I think also having like a looser grip also kind of helps with being able to walk through the journey of life and come out on the other side still believing that God is good even when (laughs) really awful things happen. Hmm. That to me was very important and necessary this past summer working in the hospital. Um, when we were talking about like deconstruction and reconstruction a little bit earlier, um, I forgot to mention, because I think this summer was really important for me in my reconstruction process, I think, because um, you just have to be so much more fluid, I feel like, in chaplaincy, because you're hearing so many different perspectives and understandings, and it may be completely different and on the other side of what you believe, Um, but when it's personal to somebody, there's something different about that. And there's something about being able to sit there with somebody and, and to provide care for them, even though you don't believe what they believe. Um, so I think that really helped me. I don't know. I mean, we talked a little bit about it in one of the episodes, but I don't know, like if your CPE experience helped you in that at all. Um, I definitely think that it did. And I know that I, in the midst of CPE, also kind of reflected on, like, if I had done CPE or something similar to, like, similar to that a few years prior and had seen what I saw, I don't know if I would have ended the summer having any faith left. Because you see Hmm. really awful, horrible, tragic things And to go in every day and be the chaplain and have, like, be praying with people and being a listening ear for people and kind of being, like, this tangible representation of, like, divine presence, like, reminding people that God is with them when their loved one, like, dies unexpectedly. Like, if I had had, like, such a deep certainty about different, like, theological things like I had a few years ago, I would have been shattered. Like, I would have been like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't show up every day (laughs) and, like, look like I'm this faithful person. Um, So I think having, like, more of a, like, like you said, fluid kind of, like, being in that space, um, was really helpful. Like, you kind of have to be (laughs) 
to be in that position um, because you just see some really awful things um, that really, especially being in a pandemic, like you, oh. that really challenges you. Like, God, are you really good when like this floor of mostly non-white people are like dying from COVID and it's like, it challenges you so much. Um, yeah, so I definitely like had to work through a lot with that also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. I mean, CPE is a whole thing of like you're unpacking stuff like separate of faith too. And so to combine all of that together, it's such a unique experience and um yeah, I I'm glad we did it, and it's that it was helpful for us um, in this process of of just trying to figure out, you know, where we are. And um, I appreciated you talking about the pandemic again too, because you know I think that has impacted a lot of a lot of people, and particularly me, I think, of just kind of feeling stuck. Um, and in this particular season of a second year of seminary, I feel like is really weird. Um, like, I feel like I know a decent amount, but I'm also like, I don't. And I'm like, how am I supposed to learn enough in the next two years to be ready for all of this? Right. Um, Yeah, because, I mean, like, we're still trying to figure out old stuff that we believed and the new stuff and now COVID stuff, like, um, yeah, like, thinking about how that all works with our deconstruction and reconstruction process, too. Um, Because at least for me, like, I can't really gather with people, um, our campus is like shut down completely and will be this entire school year. Um, and obviously like technology is great to an extent, but it's kind of hard to have those types of conversations. Um, especially in class, like there isn't, you know, like a breakout session of let's talk about this. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. This yeah, this year, I mean, I was talking with a friend last night about how, like, most of us haven't been given the space to really process what's happened, um, and I feel like, like, that adds another layer, too, of, like, dealing with faith, um, because, like, pretty much every single American is going to walk away from this year with some sort of trauma, right? Like, this year has mm-hmm. been traumatizing for a lot of people for a lot of various reasons. Um, so figuring out, like, how faith is intertwined with that has been a really interesting thing. Not really sure what it means, like, going forward yet. I feel like we can only take it, like, a day at a time. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
that's an interesting point that you bring up though of like I think the combination of like mental health and faith was also something that I've had to kind of navigate through my deconstruction process too um and I don't know if like in your circles on social media if people are talking a lot about like religious trauma um and spiritual abuse but that's something that I've been seeing a lot of um and I don't think I mean I I never experienced any sort of like you're depressed because you're not praying enough but I know people who have had things like that said to them um and I think you know the pandemic is going to be teaching faith leaders like how to navigate that in a more widespread um capacity um because like you said I think everybody's dealing with something right now yeah I kind of rerouting but like on the like religious trauma kind of aspect do you was there like anything that like was difficult for you like post like leaving evangelicalism of like things that like you couldn't do or things that you couldn't listen to or experience because it like brought up um like a lot of negative things for you Hmm. I think just seeing evangelical leaders with authority um and people just like blindly following them um because I feel like my experience was there wasn't a ton of space for people to ask questions or have different opinions without being like well other people think differently and then my viewpoint is just completely like ignored um I think those were the biggest things. I am thankful that I, I feel like I didn't experience a ton of, um, a ton of that. Um, did what about you? Did you? I mean, were there any things specifically that you experienced afterwards? Um, I couldn't really listen to worship music for probably like mm. close to six months, like a decent amount of time, because it just, I think it like had a lot to do with like how deeply connected to like the ministry I was doing was connected to worship so um I just like couldn't do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I think also something that I'm like still kind of working through I still like struggle with um like reading my bible and journaling like in a consistent Mm -hmm. way because of how much it's tied to the space I was in of very regularly feeling like how much I read my Bible and how much I journaled was directly correlated to how good of a Christian I was. Mm -hmm. And that, like, obligatory feeling of, like, if I'm not doing this every morning, if I'm not reading my Bible before I pick up my phone, if I'm not journaling all of my prayers... Like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm not being a faithful person. Mm-hmm. So, I like, I still struggle to, like, do that on a regular basis because of still that, like, really deep-rooted feeling of it, like, having it correlated with being, like, worthy. Or, like, the perception 
of like being seen as like a very faithful leader like in the like in ministry and that also was related to like how spiritual you were um like it's i'm still kind of working through that i don't know if like that was something that you perceived as well but it just kind of like constantly felt like it was like the spiritual olympics <laughs> mm-hmm. of like who can be the most spiritual who can memorize the most verses who looks the most devoted during worship um just like all of this crap that like literally has absolutely nothing to do actually with faith but the culture kind of makes it seem like it does definitely and i think you know now being more involved in a lutheran church was it which is very (laughs) anti-works righteousness um that's i mean those things sound like works to me um and i think you talking about like the spiritual stuff like if you didn't emotionally um, enjoy worship or whatever, like that was that was tied into like your spirituality, like um, or thinking about you know conference highs. Um, oh my gosh, yes, cry nights. Oh my god, yeah. Um, there was a lot of that being tied to how good of a Christian you were. So I definitely experienced that. And I, when you were talking, it made me think of, um, I meet with a spiritual director now, but when I was in the ministry, there was more like of the discipleship model. Um, And I'm still trying to work with my spiritual director about it because I feel guilty when I don't do things. Um, I don't know, it's the pandemic and I've been busy and it's kind of hard to like, just do stuff sometimes um and I think about you know sometimes I may have been like untruthful to the person who was discipling me because I felt like I needed to say the right things um in order to continue being perceived as a good Christian and um yeah and that's hard to deal with now because that's definitely not how my spiritual director um wants me to to live out my faith. And I think I'm still working through that for sure. Yeah. I think I'm still kind of trying to figure out like the balance of like being in a space that almost over spiritualizes everything to like being in a space where like, no one pretty much raises their hands during worship. Like, the the whole culture around worship, experiences of the Holy Spirit, it's, like, just very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like I'm kind of in this, like, weird space of craving the spiritual depth that I had when I was involved in that, but in a way that matches the theology hmm. that I have now. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I, I relate a lot to that. And I think, you know, while we may still have those kind of weird feelings about journaling and like personal, like Bible study, that isn't necessarily like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
expected or um, they don't push us to do that. Like, it's definitely more like group stuff. And I think personal time is is important. So I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think of um, the ministry you ended up being involved with later and like are still involved with a little bit now as a seminarian. Um, there were times when there would be songs that we had sung in worship at the previous ministry and hearing them in that context of like a Lutheran space, it felt really weird. Um, it does. It feels so weird. Yeah. Like I'm thinking especially of the song Oceans. <laughs> like that song is, um, it's a weird song <laughs> to like have in those two different spaces. So mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, we, I'm like helping, was like helping pick songs for like a worship thing, um, for the semester. And, um, the friend that I was like talking to like about songs with was like, um, talking about a song that we had previously done, like very much like a regular song, like in that like context, um, and I was like, what do you mean you want to do that song? <laughs> like, what does the theology match? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just, there's still, like, a big disconnect, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just so, when something that happened in that, in the evangelical context happens in my current context now, there still kind of feels like there's this dissonance happening of, like, what um so i think also like working through like the things that are also like still consistent between like both Mm -hmm. is a thing like and there's like a lot of tension in that too um yeah that's actually the theme of the podcast (laughs) tension (laughs) both and (laughs) yeah hmm yeah, it's it's just really like this weird space of like being able to like pull out good things and like also working through like I don't believe that. I do believe this. I think that this is a good model for ministry. I think this isn't um so I can see how like a lot of people can see that and, like, move forward and see it as, like, an advantage, kind of, of, like, Mm -hmm. or not necessarily, like, an advantage, but, like, not a negative thing to, like, have that and bring the good aspects into where you are now. But I also can see how the evangelical side was so much that some people just need to, like, not even try and carry the good things into, like, a new faith space. Mm-hmm. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. I think, I mean, I think you illustrated that when you, we were talking about the songs in the different contexts. Because I think even something like that, that's triggering. Um, that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. Most of the time for me, it's a weird thing because 
like you said, I'm used to hands up, and that doesn't happen <laughs> in uh, Lutheran worship, usually. Yeah. Yeah, I think something that's been interesting that I think we're all kind of working through too, or like reconstructing is like what worship even looks like. Um, because I know like in our campus ministry right now, we're meeting in person, but only the people leading worship are singing. It's usually two people. Mm. No one else is singing. It's just like a reflection. Um, and like in our like daily chapel services where like the sacristans are kind of, are the people who plan worship, are um, really thinking of like various ways to like have people be engaged in worship in a way that's not so music centric. So I feel like we're also in a space where we're having to reconstruct what worship even looks like because it can't be so dependent on collective music worship. Hmm. That's so difficult, I think, because, I mean, thinking about the history of Lutheranism in America and the identity that comes with that hymnal, depending on what color you want it to be, um, like, music is very important. Martin Luther wrote a bunch of hymns. Um, that was the way people learned theology. Um, sure, some of them are really great songs, some of them are not the best, but there's something about doing that together. Um, you know, voices combining um, to make one song. And to not be able to do that, I think, is that's something that I've missed um, from corporate worship, definitely. Oh, yeah. I definitely miss it, too. Um, and, like, I helped with worship last week, and it's on, it's so awkward, <laughs> honestly, to just, like, have everyone else sitting there, like, not singing. It's just, like, a mm -hmm. really weird experience. Um, so, again, I think that there's tension in, like, missing that, but also recognizing that music isn't the thing that everyone connects to the most mm -hmm. in worship. So, I think that it's a time where we can like continue to be creative and like when we can all sing like corporately together, like that's going to be an awesome day. Um, mm -hmm. But I think also as someone who is so like music centric, this is like helping me think of other ways to help people be engaged in worship in a way that I may not connect with as much necessarily, but someone else will. Yeah, I think that kind of ties in really well to this time figuring out how to make things accessible to people, because um, music isn't always accessible to people. Um, I'm also musically inclined, so that's something that I think about a lot. Um, we're both Enneagram 4, so we have great Spotify playlists, and that's <laughs> something that, you know, um, like we enjoy, and that isn't the case, like you said, for everybody, and um, how to create, like, what, like you said, what does worship actually mean? What does worship actually look like? Um, and it's okay if it's different than how we've been doing it since 
15, 17. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that too, of just like, we get so tied up in what worship is supposed to look like, and it's just, there, there is no supposed to for what worship mm-hmm. looks like. Um, so, I don't know. I think that we're kind of put in a place where we can like also kind of experiment and be creative in what worship looks like. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's if you're a creative person, it's a great time <laughs> to be to be yep. thinking about that right now. Definitely. Well, I think we talked a, about a lot of good things. Um, I think, you know, we kind of created this to talk about deconstruction and reconstruction. And um, it's clear that that's going to be a theme throughout the other podcasts, too. But um, I think it's good that we kind of laid a foundation for, you know, what we, what, where we're at and what we think about it. And, um We'd love to hear what you all have to think about de- uh, deconstruction and reconstruction, too. So, Yeah, for sure. There's so much to pull apart, and there are so many stories that we have <laughs> and can continue yep. to share. So this is just the beginning of a long journey of tension and both-andness. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, see you all for week five, and we will talk some more later. Bye.